0: If church is new for you this morning, you may not know this, but preachers are professional story collectors. Sometimes when I'm around people in social settings, there's something shady going on and they're not even aware of it. Uh, It looks like I'm socializing and interacting, but actually what I'm doing is what every pastor does in those settings. I'm just collecting new illustrations, amen? And so the reality is uh, some of my favorite stories to collect are weird family traditions And the ones that you and your family think are great, and you look forward to them, you celebrate them. And everybody else looks at it and just says, they're weirdos. Am I right? And so the reality is my favorites often come out at the holidays. That's where weird family traditions are put on display. Sometimes it's a special thing you do around certain holidays, special activity. Maybe it's certain meals you have, uh, those things that are unique to your family. And many people celebrate that. But today, uh, I'm going to expose one that I think many people participate in and they're not even aware of it they do it every single Easter and it's a weird tradition there and they're totally ignorant but it happens every single year and it's this one it's that silly game that we play every year where we pretend that the people who put peeps in our Easter basket actually love us am I right listen peeps are the black jelly beans of candy with only better shapes hear what the Lord says And so write this down. If it's the only thing you learn today, it will serve you well in eternity. Cadbury eggs will be served in heaven. Peeps will be served in the smoking section. All right? Write that down. Well, today I'm going to expose uh, something other tradition. It's not weird at all. It's why we all come together to celebrate year after year after year that the tomb is still empty. Praise God. And so today we want to focus on a resurrection that doesn't get celebrated with a special holiday, but it does point to the future resurrection of Jesus, and it does reveal the heart and the actions of Jesus uh, in this exchange. So let me invite you to take your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you're using, and turn with you this morning to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we're going to record uh, or encounter another resurrection that's recorded, and in doing so, we're going to see some things How Jesus responds to the brokenness of the world and how the hope Easter brings us because of that. Now, because we're dropping into a book in the book of John and we're kind of in the middle of that book and in the middle of that chapter, uh, John chapter 11, I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes that kind of get us up to speed on what's taken place before we arrive in verse 32 this morning. Kind of three scenes are playing out in John chapter 11. Scene number one in verses 1 through 4 is that Lazarus is sick. And there's his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they have a brother, and his name is Lazarus. They're in a the city of Bethany, which is about two miles away from where Jesus is at over in Jerusalem. And Lazarus becomes very ill, and so his sisters get very concerned, and so they send word to Jesus about their brother's condition. But when Jesus heard it, he sent words back to them that essentially saying that, hey, Lazarus is going to be okay. And, and as a matter of fact, here's what Jesus says. He said, "This thing that's about to happen, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it." Now now for them, that's probably an odd statement to hear when your brother is on his deathbed. And so scene one, Lazarus is sick, verse one through four, and then scene two is verses five through 16. Lazarus, he dies. And after hearing about Lazarus's illness, Jesus stays, get this, two more days in Jerusalem. And then he decides to go over to Bethany. And so Jesus tells his friends, hey, Lazarus has died. And he says, he says, I'm actually glad that I wasn't there, which is an odd statement we'll look at here in a minute. He says, I'm glad that I wasn't there because what I'm about to do is going to help people believe. Now, again, that's a puzzling statement. I'm sure that Jesus was about to do something incredible. They weren't sure, but this two-day delay to them seems odd. And then scene three verse 17 through 27, Jesus shows up on the scene. So Jesus arrives at the scene four days after Lazarus's death. And just as you've been around people who were someone has died, you can imagine the scene. there is sobbing, there are sadness, there are tears, there are people to gather around to console Mary and Martha. And, and both the sisters made this statement. They said, "Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. Now, I don't know if that's a statement of faith, being that Jesus could have raised him from the dead, or that's a statement of indictment saying, Jesus, you were late. You let us down. It may be a mixture of both. So Lazarus is sick, and then he dies, and then a few days later, Jesus shows up on the scene. All right, so let's pick that up in verse 32 in John chapter 11. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here... And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Here's the purpose, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And this is an incredible account of Jesus literally raising a person from the grave. And and it serves to give us confidence that he can do the same thing spiritually for every single person who believes. And so in walking through this passage, you're going to see not only a future resurrection of Jesus being pointed to clearly, but you're going to see the heart and the activity of Jesus as he responds to this incredible scene playing out in front of them. And so I want you to notice three things in this passage this morning. The first one is simply this, is that Jesus is not indifferent to our brokenness. Over the past two years, we've had a front row seat to the brokenness that comes to living in a world that has been cursed by sin. We, we've watched all kinds of heartache, all kinds of hatred, all kinds of division, all kinds of physical and emotional suffering. And listen, if you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm not aware all that's going to last two years, let me welcome you to the first time you've been outside in the last couple years. Am I right? We've watched it on display. We've been reminded that we do, in fact, live in a fallen world and we are fallen People who desperately need redemption. And here's what the Bible teaches about suffering and hardship. Suffering and hardship, the Bible says, does not change us on the inside, but rather it exposes what's already there on the inside. And through this last two years, it's been hard for everyone. As that suffering has begun to expose what's already in our hearts, to quote the word of an eloquent theologian, it ain't pretty. We've been reminded, we've seen sin on display, and in the midst of all of this brokenness and all of this heartache and all this suffering, listen, there is a fair question to ask this morning in the last two years we've been walking through, and that question is this, does Jesus even care? Is he even moved by our suffering? Is he indifferent to what's going on around us? Does he even care? And why he's not going to force himself into anyone's life, I think it's a fair question To wonder, is he grieved when we're broken hearted? Is he tender hearted towards our weaknesses? Or does Jesus just take the approach, which is always super helpful. You ever have anybody say this, of your life's going hard and they say something along these lines. Well, you made your bed, now you just have to lie in it. Have you ever heard that? Like, isn't that helpful and encouraging when people tell you that? You know what I think is an appropriate response? You say, you know what? That's true, but before I lay down and pull up the covers, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Amen? Jesus is fine with that. Trust me, I'm a pastor. And when we look at this exchange in John chapter 11, here's the good news. We don't have to wonder anymore. We don't have to question whether he's indifferent towards people with broken hearts and walking through Frailties and weakness. Look at back verses 32 and 35. In verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews had come with her also weeping. Listen to this. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And she said to him, Lord, Come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. Now verse 35 is both the shortest memory verse in the Bible, and it's also the favorite verse of every little kid in the Juana's. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's the one they can memorize and get a little couple of Juana bucks for the store. And so it is a familiar verse. But listen, more than a trivia answer to the question of what's the shortest verse in the Bible, it displays an incredible picture of the heart of Jesus in the midst of broken people. Now when we get together, all of our campus pastors, we work through the text together, and then we come back and work through a rough draft together, then we come back and write a final draft, and we're preaching, and when we're wrestling through this text, when we got to verse 35, all of us said, man, there's, there's something here that I had never seen before, and you're thinking, what insights can you possibly get out of a two-word verse? And I promise you, all of us had already memorized that verse, all right? We all knew in that verse, and, and here's... Here's the tension that we begin to see and wrestle with this week. All right, I want you to listen to this. If Jesus knows, as God in the flesh, if Jesus knows that he's about, in fact, to raise Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus, as a sovereign God in the flesh, knows that Lazarus' story has a resurrection ending, then why is Jesus so upset? Why, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to say, hey, You guys are crying. I'm not crying. You know why? Because I'm about to raise this guy from the dead. Don't worry. I'm going to take care. I know I'm late. I know that he stinks. I know all that stuff. But no big deal. Right? The reason I'm not crying, listen, but the Bible says clearly. It doesn't say he shed a tear. It says he wept despite knowing the end of Lazarus' story. Now, why why is that? Well, here's the simple. It's not because he was ignorant. It's not like... Man, I've never, I've never done this before, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and raise this guy from the dead and hope it turns out good, right? A lot of people are watching. Listen, that's not the deal at all. What's the deal? Listen, here's the deal. Jesus cares deeply for people who are hurting. He loved Lazarus. He loved his sisters, Mary and Martha. If you read the scriptures, they, they had a relationship there. And so they're grieved because, because, listen, here's the deal. They're without hope. His sisters had never seen anyone raised from the dead and so their hearts are broken and therefore Jesus is not indifferent to their suffering his heart is broken because he loves them and they're suffering at this time and not just, I mean listen it doesn't say he again shed a tear it says he openly wept out loud weeping sobbing wailing snot flying weeping amen it's what the ladies call An ugly cry. Any ladies ever have an ugly cry every now and then? Right? I mean, Jesus unashamedly weeps it so much so that the Jews who are watching, they see this brokenness of Jesus. And what's it say in verse 36? Here's what they say. See how he loved him? Listen, here's the reality. Jesus is so unlike us. There's so many times I hear of people's struggles or, or I watch and hear the news of a war going on in Ukraine, and I care, but I'm not often moved to the point of tears like we see Jesus going. Listen, my heart can be indifferent at times, but not Jesus. He always identifies with our pain and brokenness. He cares deeply about what we're walking through, all right? So, and here's what the text says. If you're listening, say amen. It says not only was was he weeping, but he was deeply troubled in his spirit. The, The word, the original Greek language, is there was inner anguish going on. Now, again... Okay, he's weeping because they're hurting and he loves them. I, I get that. But why is there inner anguish going on? Because Jesus is not just grieved that Lazarus is dead. He knows the end of that story. He's not just moved by his friends suffering, Mary and Martha. He Listen, he knows what he's going to do and they're going to rejoice on this kind of thing. Listen, when Jesus encounters death, it is a reminder for him that the world is not as it should be. That the only reason Lazarus is dead is because sins entered the world and so he's deeply grieve that the world's uh, the mess that sin is made of the whole world because of our first parents Adam and Eve sin in the garden sin is entered the world and listen it's a part of all of our lives and Jesus had a front row see hey this is not the way the father intended but yet here I am with well, a guy who's dead why because Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this therefore just as though sin came Through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so Jesus weeps over the brokenness of the world around him, and Lazarus' death is a tangible reminder that this is not how the Father intended. It is a reminder of all the havoc that sin has wreaked in the world. He's weep, but only is he weeping and broken for his friends. Listen, he takes action. He doesn't just give the, the old speech, which, listen, we're all guilty of this. We hear something that's someone's suffering or the world's, you know, some brokenness in the world on display. And, and sometimes, if we're honest, we just say this, well, that, that's a real shame. I, I hate to hear that. And then we just go back to our busy lives, right? No, no, no. Jesus is so moved with compassion, not only is he weeping that they're hurting, not only is he grieving that sinners enter entered the world and, and Lazarus' death is a reminder of that, Jesus puts legs under his love's love and proves That he is able to overcome. What was Lazarus' main problem here? What's the thing that many of us fear? The answer is death. Now there's all kinds of things we do to try and prolong our lives. We try to eat certain foods or we avoid certain foods with the hopes that it might prolong our life a few days or months or even years. Right? Listen, that's why I'm such a fitness fanatic, right? You can see it right just try to squeeze a few more days and I told that to someone someone trying to exercise and you know prolong your life they said listen those last years are the best years just enjoy yourself right we try to push it off I right? diet and exercise we wear seat belts there's even stories that to prolong their days some people build underground bunkers and dwell in those right listen weirdo alert all right but in the end Despite all of our technology and medical innovation, listen. in the end, there is nothing we can do to solve this problem called death. One day, all of us will be in Lazarus' shoes, and what I need you to hear today is simply this. What I want you to believe is something like this, that the scriptures teach because Christ has been raised from the dead, there is a way of escape, there is a way out of death, praise God. Someone said this, that death and taxes are the only two sure things in life some of you are saying, I don't know about that thing called taxes. Listen, you're going to find out come Monday, am I right? That once again, you can run, the IRS says, but you can't hide. And so tax day is going to run. You're reminded that, listen, I cannot escape tax day, but because the grave is still empty, there is a way of escape for death. Jesus is able to overcome sin and death and hell. That's the message of Easter. Verse 38 and 39, look what it says. Jesus came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone laid against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, if you're worried that your kids aren't getting the real meaning of Easter, and they think it's about bunnies and candy and all this, kind, listen, here's a pro tip. You should write this down, all right? If you want to make sure your kids understand the real meaning of Easter, trap them in a cave for a few days. Then they'll get it, right? Like, maybe, like, that's terrible. Throw some peeps in there. Whatever. They'll get it. But in all seriousness, could you imagine being there that day? Can you imagine Mary and Martha again have never seen a person raised from the dead, totally without hope, buried in that tomb four days earlier. and so what do they do? They begin to doubt. Martha replies to Jesus' request to take away the stone and says this but but by this time, there's going to be an Odor. Now, if you've got a King James Bible, you know what it says in the King James, it's my favorite. It says, Lord, he stinketh. That's what it says in the King James. How great is that, right? Like, if you've ever had junior high boys, you've said it stinketh as well. It's in the Bible. And the fact that, just listen, some skeptics have said, well, he, he wasn't really dead. He was in a comatose state, and, but he was totally alive. They say the same thing about Jesus. It's called the swoon theory. They didn't really die on the cross. You know, he's just in a comatose state. But listen, here's what I want you to understand. The fact that there's an odor coming out of Lazarus's grave is pointing to the fact that decomposition has already to, started to take place. He was dead and already decomposing. And so his sister says, but Lord, she's doubting, Lord, he already smells. He's been gone four days. And in that moment, Jesus addresses her doubt. Now, if you're here and you think, well, I could never be a Christian because I've got all these doubts and I've got all these questions, Listen, here's what I want you to understand. Right here with Martha is a woman who's doubting openly Jesus, and he's on display. This is a woman who just a few verses earlier in verse 27 proclaimed, I believe. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so Jesus doesn't, listen, he addresses her doubts. He doesn't condemn her for her doubts. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Listen, the opposite of faith is unbelief so Jesus saying hey listen doubters are welcome bring your questions the tomb and the resurrection can handle all of your doubts and so she begins to doubt verse 27 I believe a few verses later if Jesus had been here he'd still be alive and then life begins to get hard so when does she doubt same place we do life begins here life is not playing out there's no hope he's been in the grave four days he's already starting to decompose and doubts begin to creep in for now here's the question her worst fears come true. Not only is her brother dead, but from her perspective, based on her words here in the text, in her perspective is that Jesus is late. Jesus has let them down. And I would argue this morning, there's not a scarier thought in all the world than the fact that Jesus would let you down in a time of need. And that's exactly what they're wrestling with. Now, here's a here's question. Why is Jesus late from their perspective? Why is Jesus late from our perspective? And just again, listen, if you're wondering, like, well, maybe maybe he really didn't care as much. I mean, if you heard someone was sick that you loved and you're two miles away in another town, would you respond back with a call or a text and say, Hey, I'm, I'm busy right now, I'll get there in a few days, right? No one's saying that. But there's a clear case made that he's not indifferent. Look at verse 38 again. What's it say? Then Jesus says he was deeply moved again. And his delay is not because of indifference or he doesn't care. And why does he say this in verse 31? This makes no sense. He says, Father, now listen, Lazarus is already dead. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Now you would think he would, if the father heard his prayer, then Lazarus would not have died. But, but Lazarus is dead and Jesus says, Lord, thank you is that weird? I mean, when's the last time you've ever been to a funeral and heard the pastor say, Father, I thank you that this person is dead. I never liked him anyway, right? Like who? No one says that, right? But, but here Jesus says all these things. Well, why does he say that? Well, here's the good news. You don't have to wonder. The Bible tells us the purpose of his delay and his gratitude. Why is thanking the Father. In verses 42 through verse 44, what's it say? But I said this. Lazarus is dead. Why is he thanking God for that? He's delayed. Why why was he delayed? Here's what he says. Here's his answer. Verse 42. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. Jesus Did this, why? So that the glory of God could be displayed so the bystanders around him would believe that he was in fact sent from God and the power of God was on his life. The power over sin and death and hell, he was able to overcome all those things. And so his delay was not a delay. Jesus has never been late in all of his life. And his indifference is not indifference at all. Why do this? So the people around would say he is the Messiah. He raised him from the dead. One day he'll be raised from the dead. And so that they may believe. That's the message of Easter. That God crucified his own son who bore our wrath on the cross and buried him. And rose the third day. Why? So that no one could ever wonder again. Was this in fact the Messiah? They said he is. The tomb is empty. And in doing so, he provided victory over sin and death and hell. Do you realize this this morning? Easter is the answer to your three greatest problems in life. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, listen, I've got more than three, right? But man's three greatest problems the problem of sin, you cannot fix it and you cannot overcome it, the Bible says. The problem of death that you cannot escape. And the problem of hell, that you don't want to encounter. You know what this resurrection tells us? Jesus is able to conquer sin and death and hell. Jesus is able, is the message of Easter. Now, I'll just, for one time, right, for one time in your life, I want everybody in the room to pretend, just for Easter, all right, that you're Pentecostal. And on the count of three, I want you to shout out, Jesus is able. Listen, it's the only time in church you get to yell back at the preacher, all right? So, on the count of three, would you just shout out Jesus is able? One, two, three. Jesus is able. Someone got too excited over here, all right? A little Pentecostal snuck in among us. There's no question about that. And so, why does he delay? So they can raise him from the dead and prove to everyone that he is, in fact, able so that they may believe. And so, the question's not whether he's able this morning, the question is, are you willing to reorient your life around that truth? You see Jesus is not looking for fans. Jesus is looking for followers, and that's a radical difference. Jesus is not a get out of hell free card. Jesus is inviting us to believe to the point of total surrender because heaven is it's not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Listen, heaven's a place for people who love God. And Jesus said, "If you love me, obey me," in John chapter 14 verse 15. Now, Why would any grown adult let anyone, including Jesus, tell them what to do? Simple, because God raised him from the dead once and for all to prove that he truly was the Savior and King the world had been waiting for, to prove that he was able to conquer sin and death and hell, and we are not. And what Jesus did for Lazarus physically, displaying that he held the keys to the kingdom of sin and death and hell listen he wants to do in our lives as well spiritually this morning here's the good news of the gospel of grace there's no limits to the grace of Jesus there's no situation in your life that he can't step into this morning and redeem you from and some of you think listen you don't know my story you don't know where I've been you don't know where I was last night you know who I was with and what I was doing all those kinds of things I want you to hear me this morning what grace teaches is this is that Jesus is far more interested in where you're going than he is in where you've been. There's no person too far gone from God's saving grace to reach this morning. The Bible says that that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. You say, I'm a long ways from God. Here's what that verse means in Isaiah. He's got long arms. He can reach you right where you are and save you this morning. And and so the story Jesus does for Lazarus. What Lazarus could not do for himself, he proved that he was king over sin and death and hell. Now, I've preached about 70 funerals in the last 20 years, and I've been to probably a couple hundred. So, listen, I'm going to let you know a little secret. I've been around a lot of dead people. You know what I've learned in all that time going to hundreds of funerals? You can encourage a dead person all you want. They're not responding. You can shame and guilt trip a dead person all you want. They're not responding. You can give a dead person a motivational speech. They're not responding. Why? Because dead people don't respond to stimuli. You know what the greatest need of a dead person is? To be raised back to new life. And that's exactly what Jesus is putting on display. He said, hey, I can raise the dead. I've got the keys over sin and death and hell. And the world sometimes says, you've made your bed. Now you've got a lion. You know what the gospel says? Listen to this. Jesus says, you made your bed, and I'm willing to rescue you from it. Praise God. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. How great is Jesus. Listen, I don't want anybody going out of here and saying, wow, worship was incredible. I had no idea that Rascal Flats led worship here. Amen? And the preaching was mediocre, but the dude is handsome as the day is long. But I hope everybody leaves walking out here saying, "Man, Jesus is incredible! How great is Jesus Christ?" And if we believe that to be true, that He overcomes sin and death and hell, then guess what? We can fully form, form these words in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-five through fifty-seven, which says, "This, oh death, where is your victory? Where's your sting?" The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many people in this room, the last couple of years, have said goodbye to people they love. Guess what? Because the resurrection of Christ, if they're in Christ, it wasn't a final goodbye. They too will be resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me make a shocking statement this morning. You agree with everything I just said. Say amen. still go to hell and here's why because Jesus demands a response John chapter 11 is not primarily about Lazarus it's not primarily about death or sorrow even though they're on display John chapter 11 is about Jesus who's not indifferent to the brokenness of the world around him about Jesus who can solve the greatest problems of all of humanity sin and death and hell and what Jesus is doing here is revealing a future reality Say, hey you think this is pretty incredible that I, I raised Lazarus from the dead after he stinketh? He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. On that first Easter morning, you're going to see this incredible display. Lazarus' death and resurrection was nothing more than an announcement of coming attractions. And the day is coming for them. It's already come for us when the angels proclaim the tomb is empty. And so I want to ask you a question That Jesus asked Martha on this day, here in John chapter 11 and verse 25. Martha, who is doubting in verse 31, Lord, Lord, he's, he's been dead four days. Martha, who a little earlier said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. In verse 25, Jesus asked her a simple question that I want to ask you this morning. Do you believe and I'm not talking about intellectual agreement. I'm talking about belief to the point of surrender. It's a old story about a tightrope walker. And he would walk back and forth and wow the crowds. They'd watch him on this high wire and he'd pretend he was going to fall. And then he would up the ante a little bit and they would, he'd be juggling. He'd walk across the tightrope and then he'd ooh and ah. And then he'd go across on a, on a unicycle. People ooh and ah. And then he finally gets down and says, hey, for my final act, he said, I, I need a Volunteer man jumps up and says, I'll volunteer. What is it? So he gets out a wheelbarrow. The crowd has no idea what's going on. And so he he begins to ask this man. He said, do you think I can walk across? He said, we've seen you walk across. We've seen you ride across on a tricycle. We've seen you juggle across. I know that you can walk across. He said, do you think I can walk across pushing this wheelbarrow? I absolutely know you can. He said, do you think I could push you across on this wheelbarrow? He said, I believe that you can. He said, good. Then get in the wheelbarrow. Jesus is not asking if he think you could do all these things. He wasn't asking Mary, do you believe? He's asking you, will you put your full trust in me? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a response. And hear me clearly this morning, to not receive him freely is to openly reject him completely. There is no middle ground. And you can't reject Jesus openly and then question why you don't get to live with him eternally. And so maybe you're here today and you identify with Mary and Martha. Your life has been hard and you're struggling and you're wondering, is he going to show up? In my time of need. Maybe it's someone you're broken over like these two sisters were over Lazarus. And you're wondering, is Jesus able? Listen, here's what we learned today. That Jesus has the power over sin, death, and hell. And he's able. And Jesus is not indifferent to the brokenness of the world that we live in. Jesus steps into our lives. And everyone who seeks refuge and comfort in him. If they run to him, they'll make it. But maybe you're here. And you're like Lazarus. And your greatest problem is that you're dead. And while Lazarus was dead physically, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that before we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we are dead in our sins and trespasses. You know what a dead person needs? They don't need encouragement. They don't need a moral example. They don't need uh, anything. They need new life. And here's the good news of Easter. Jesus is able. He's able. He's able to forgive you of your sin and keep you from hell and give you eternal life. There's no question about that. The only question this morning is, are you really willing to receive him by faith as your Lord and Savior? Would you bow your heads this morning? If your head bowed this morning, I want to talk to two groups of people in the room. The first group is this. Those of you who are saved and you know it. You've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But you're walking through a difficult season of life. The last two years have worn on you. You've been reminded that we live in a fallen world and you're falling yourself. And you're in a season of brokenness and hopeless. And right now, If that's you, despite how you feel, would you proclaim by faith, Jesus is able. He's not indifferent to your cries. Every obstacle is nothing more than an opportunity for him to display his glory. He's never been late. Would you by faith just affirm that right now and say, Lord, I'm struggling, but by faith... I've been reminded today you're able. And God, empower me to live out of what I know to be true despite what feels true in this season of brokenness. Would you just pray right now and ask the Lord to do that in your own heart? But some of you are here this morning and your greatest need is new life in Jesus Christ. You've never been saved You've never come to a place and a time or a season in your life where you confessed your sins before a holy God where when comparing your life with Jesus, you just had to proclaim, I've fallen short. And if you're here and you've never been saved or you're unsure if you've ever been saved, right now, right in your seat, here's the good news of the gospel, you can be saved right now. Right in the very seat that you're sitting in, you can be saved this morning. And if that's your desire, then by faith, there's no magic words in this prayer, but if it expresses the sincere desire of your heart by faith, would you just pray with me and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you do that right now? Would you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. When I compare my life to the life of Jesus, I I have to confess that I've fallen short of his standard. And God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for payment for my sins. I believe that he was buried. And I believe that he rose the third day to prove that he was your accepted sacrifice. But Lord, I just don't believe all those things intellectually. God, today, I repent of my sins and self-righteousness. And I'm throwing myself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking Jesus to forgive me my sins and be my Lord and my Savior, would you pray that right now? And the Bible says if you pray that by faith, then you can be born again this morning. That through his resurrection, you'll receive him today by faith. Not because you're able, but because he was. And He conquered sin and death and hell on your behalf. Would you receive him today by faith? Would you repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ? Father, we're grateful for Easter because Easter is a message of hope. As long as the tomb is still empty, Lord, there's still hope for hurting and broken people. And so, Lord, I pray this week as we live our lives, God, we would live not out of what we're afraid is true and what feels true, but God, we would live by faith out of what you've declared is true. Jesus is alive and he's coming again. And he's conquered sin and death and hell. And Lord, we're not living for victory. We're living from victory. All because the tomb is still empty. And so God, may we live this week with resurrection power. It's in Jesus' name we pray, because we can. Amen.